I went to the front, took my pastor by the hand, Dr. Frank Ball, and he said, uh, why, are you, why are you here? I said, Dr. Ball, I don't know. I said, I feel like God is calling me to do something for him, but I don't know. And I love Dr. Ball, but I think he probably knew me because I was always a little mischievous. And uh, I think he probably thought there's not a snowball's chance in hell that guy is ever going to be in ministry. Hello folks, Dennis Allen with The Disciple Dilemma. On today's podcast, we're interviewing Dr. Larry Thompson, who's the pastor emeritus of First Baptist Church Fort Lauderdale. That's a mega church. We're also interviewing Chris Baer, who's the senior pastor at Reston Presbyterian Church, Reston, Virginia, just outside Washington, D.C. Our podcast is Disciples Who Are Pastors. What's it like in there? You're going to find that these two are a great resource just to think about the challenges facing us in the disciple dilemma. Dr. Thompson has over 40 years in ministry, a number of churches, and he's also the man who created Faith Foundry, which is a discipleship ministry for pastors. Yep, they need disciples too, coming alongside pastors to help them develop their own skills in leading churches and working with folks just like us. He'll talk more about that today. Chris Baer has been a missionary in London with Vision to the World. He's also been a church planter, and now he's a senior pastor of Reston Prez. Let's tune in and listen to the story. Well, I just want to start out by welcoming Chris and Larry to the Disciple Dilemma. We are so anxious here. Chris, thanks for being with us. Got to be here. And Larry, I'm, I'm just honored and delighted that you'd be with us today. It's a joy for me, Dennis. I am. I'm privileged to be here with you today. What's it like? to be a disciple and a pastor. It is always a push-pull on uh, how honest and open versus are you, you know, you you want to share on honesty, but you don't want to lead anybody other. So there's always this this push-pull bifurcation thing that is happening uh, as a pastor. So I like to surround myself with guys who are just good dudes, Um, you know, and and so while I didn't do my homework, I love to be around guys who did, you know what I mean? When I was heading off to college, one of them was a few years older, and he was at the end of college and he's like, Chris, here's my advice for you. Uh, when you're heading off to college, you know, more people end up, more people who say they have faith in Christ move away than at the end, than at the beginning. And he's like, don't be one of the ones who's, whose faith has, ha- has left you. And he goes, the only advice I can give you is when you go to college, do you know, two things. He was like, find a good church, make that your priority, find a good fellowship. But also when you're walking around campus, uh, find the Christian guy who just impresses you the most. This is exactly where he said, go to him. And he said, he'll probably be a lot older than you. He'll probably be a senior. You're just a little freshman. Said, but he said, find him and just tell him this. I need you to disciple me. And he goes, and if he is what he appears, he will either disciple you or find someone who will. I think a lot of, uh, a lot of people are willing to put their pastor on a pedestal and as pastors, we're dumb enough to sit on it. <laughs> the making of discipleship is critical, but it's probably one of the areas since I've been in ministry for almost 40 years is that discipleship is waning and not growing. And so there has to be something that is a catalyst. You were active as a missionary to London. So a lot of the challenges you faced in London have to be really seen and what we're beginning to experience. Like all things British, their secularism was so much more refined. (laughs) (laughs) 
I arrogantly would say to my wife, I don't know why, you know, all these guys are having all this much trouble. Pastoring is really not that difficult. And I said that up until my last church. And this guy stood up and he said in deacons meeting, I would like to make a motion that we terminate our pastor. Larry, you, you have been the pastor in the senior chair and you've been working with a lot of pastors, but there's a real risk for pastors to be trapped in the idea of, I've got to keep a facade. What have you seen about facade and risk and its relationship to damaging pastors' discipleship? Yeah, well, I think that that is probably one of the one of the key issues that uh, that we should look at today. And you got to remember that we are the third highest dropout rate of any professional. But a lot of it is created by self of trying to do exactly what you said and and be the perfect guy and be able to help everybody and never hurt and uh, and never get discouraged and then. Unfortunately, there are a lot of guys that that they look for an out. I have uh, talked about a concept, I think with all of you, but our audience might not have heard this before. Everybody needs a 2 a.m. Waffle House friend. But Waffle House is that ubiquitous restaurant in the southeastern U.S. that's open 24 hours a day. And I need to know that if you're my wingman, you're my discipling mentor, you're somebody who's integral in that life you're talking about. I don't have a facade. I'm not worried about the risks. And I can call you at 2 a.m. and say, meet me at Waffle House. Ray, this sounds eerily to me like our conversation with Jeremy Casella with Indelible Grace on the concept of isolation and its destruction of people's spiritual lives. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, I thought what Chris and Larry both said were really key and important things. And so seems to me there's like two or three different things going on. One is, as an individual person, the pastor needs to have some deep peer relationships with friends that they have great respect for, and they have a warm relationship with. They like the person. They love the person in terms of being self-sacrificial and finding time to spend. And certainly they need, and as you point out, real deep and abiding friends. So I love your methodology. I know a number of pastors who are um, enjoying the papal status they have within the church and really don't have those kind of peer relationships. And it's always scary to me when Absolutely. they're in that role. I, I, so where do you go to really engage with other Christian people who are wrestling with how we are Christians in this culture. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And what you're asking, though, is can we connect to people and be transparent? You're a megachurch pastor. You've got thousands in there on a Sunday. You've got a rich tapestry of people. You've got a lot of folks to choose from. That's absolutely right. Chris, you're sub 500 in your church. It's not as rich an inventory out there. It's a harder thing to find those friends. Yes or no? What do you think? Uh, well, again, it's not that I don't have people I'm close with in the church. It's that it's kind of like you have your five. Like I think I've, I've found those guys and those are the ones I've held on to for all these years. And with technology, I don't have to let them go when I move. So Not been, necessarily local. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're, they've been with me everywhere. And then mm -hmm. at the church, I think you just have to be discerning as you get, because you, you still have the 
you have to be discerning where they're at as you yeah because agree discipleship has to be both ways how can you you know how can you have someone to share if you're not going to share so you know there's i've cried with guys on my own stuff i share struggles that stuff but there is you know there's there's time in relationship like you have to have both of that and experience to as you get deeper and deeper and deeper um you know so there's these guys that i've known for a long time that i'm not looking for best friends but i am looking for deep connections i know a lot of guys who don't have that um and and so i you know i i think you you know you want to make your own mistakes but you really want to learn from other people's mistakes and not make your own and uh you know i've seen a lot of guys not take that heed that and i feel like you know i already have a handful of guys i've known who have divorced who have left ministry who have been caught in sin and you know just and you you know them and you walk through them and you're like wow you 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 know in seminary there was no class that said you guys need people speaking into your heart uh in preparation for our discussion today you know i said well what um what does the pastorate look like in america let me just share this with you from lifeway research a minimum of 250 pastors lead ministry every month and it's gone as high as 1500 resigning the number one reason given we were burned out and i think that goes back to the discussion that we've all just had right here Larry, you've just talked about how difficult it is to be a pastor. Mm -hmm. And I know that that's something that's deep to your heart. And you started Faith Foundry. We put our foundation together, got our board of trustees, and had a mission that was very simple. We would take five young pastors, early career pastors, a year, and we would take them through a discipleship program. I meet with them every other, every other week on a phone call, one-on-one -on -one call. We have a Zoom call once a month on a different subject of, of how to survive in the ministry and uh, what God expects of us. Um, our, our foundation takes them to Nicaragua. And so we take them there and say, get a vision for what God can do. And it's more than just in our cities and our states. It's in our world. What can you do that's going to make a difference? I meet with them one-on-one -on -one every week by Zoom. Uh, we have a webinar once a month. Uh, Cynthia and I go and spend three days with them. What we do at the close of each year of Faith Foundry, our, our foundation takes all five of the guys. We each assign them uh, six different locations in the Bible uh, where you research it, you talk to us about it, you tell us what happened there, and then you tell us what did God tell you as a response to this. And then we take them to Israel, and they teach at those six spots wherever they are, because I hope that, uh, uh, that these pastors will mature and grow up and get as old as I am, and one day say, let's pay it forward. Let's go do that for somebody else. Don't you have some of the people that you recruit that really aren't suited to ministry? My brother, they won't last long. <laughs> As pastors, are you seeing the symptoms that we've been talking about? Talking with most pastors, I wouldn't be able to all agree. We're not seeing a whole life transformation on the level you would, you, you would, you're kind of hoping to see. No, I actually believe that it is that it is getting worse. I actually believe that, uh, that the Lord is probably going to have to humble us or he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, 
But when we look at 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 what you were talking about, the the, the S SBNRs, the spiritual but not religious, I was shocked when I looked at some information recently. 2019 Pew Research reported that nearly one fourth of all Americans identify themselves as believers in God, that they're spiritual but they're not religious. And they're, they're holding on to that. And that is growing exponentially in, this, uh, in our nation. We have, in the last 150 years, con- changed Christianity into just conversion. My wife and I have seen a complete abandonment of church as community. Yes. It's, really a, it's really an institution like the school I go to or the business I go to. It's just another institution in my life. And so I really wonder how we convince people that Christianity is not just my get out of hell free card, but it really is the very meaning of my life, which is the biggest problem people face today. What's the meaning of my life? And as Christians, we're not telling them the meaning of your life is to love your neighbors yourself. We're telling them, well, when you die, you get to go to heaven. Uh, You know, we will fill up a 3000 seat auditorium. And yet you look at there and you wonder you know, how many are really getting this? How many are embracing the Christian life? How many are living it or they're just doing this by rote? It's what we've always done. Go to church. A lot of parents are heartbroken, but also surprised when their kids, and they look back at their kids' expression of their faith. And I was thinking, have we done a good job of teaching parents how to actually look for the faith and discipline and, you know, discipline the heart work on the heart of their kids versus looking at the other things. And so you have a lot of parents looking at the, the prayer they made their kids. These are, it's not like it's a bad thing, but they're judging their, they're judging their kids' faith on these things and looking back I'm like, wait, were those things even real? Dennis and I have talked about the use of Christian language that means nothing to people outside the church. Okay. So if I told you repentance was taking the red pill and waking up to the reality I would be communicating. But if I say repentance means that you're going to go on a moral program to try and become morally perfect like Jesus, that you go, how in the world would that be possible? Why would I do that? And so you start thinking about things like righteousness being all I'm supposed to be rather than righteousness being uh, sinless and perfect in a moral sense. And so you, you begin to really try to grapple with what does it really, if you get back to the language behind the way we've interpreted those words today, yeah. then you'd really begin to grapple with the underlying reality of Christianity in a way that we could be authentic in talking to people. So I agree with you completely. Larry, I'm really grateful that you'd carve out some time from that really sad looking landscape you're living in to spend some time with us. <laughs> Actually, I'm in downtown Fort Lauderdale, and that's just a backdrop. (laughs) (laughs) Chris, thanks for joining us today on The Disciple Dilemma 2. Thanks for having me. Chris, great meeting you. It's really nice to meet you. Bless you guys. And I noticed, folks, that neither of them said anything about Raymond. (laughs) (laughs) And rightly so. Folks, thanks for being with us on The Disciple Dilemma, a pastor and a disciple. What's it like in there? This is a fascinating conversation. I hope you'll catch the highlights as well as the long 
version so you can see the discipleship is not just us in the pews. It's the guys and gals in the full-time ministries of the church, and it's a tough ride. Please take a look at faithfoundry.org, and you'll see Larry and Cynthia's ministry to pastors that are struggling. Please take a look at our website, www.discipledilemma.com. There are podcasts, there are blogs out there, um, and it's there to help leverage in the digital marketplace the statement that we're trying to bring up. Discipleship's been hacked, and it's time for the leadership of the church to step in and start changing this game. It is time to rethink and reform discipleship. We're praying for you guys in your ministry. Thanks for what you do. We're so grateful for what you're doing. And folks, thanks for listening.